Welcome to What in the World Language Podcast. 2020, right? It's in the books, but it's certainly something that shouldn't be forgotten, right? Especially those experiences of those that have struggled, those we've lost, um, should never be forgotten. So I'm just going to share my thoughts on pandemic teaching, so to speak. Just wanted to record a little session here on just some just some rambling ideas and thoughts and experiences and things that I've seen and read and heard um, over the years or over the over the what nine months of uh, remote hybrid teaching um, that we have all gone through. It's January 1st, uh, sitting here in my basement recording this um, to put a little time stamp on it. Um, but yeah, life in 2020 has uh, definitely seen a share of uh, inequities, none more so than in our schools, right? Because I'm an educator, if you don't know me, if you stumbled upon this podcast, I'm like, what is this? I'm a high school Spanish teacher. Um, I teach Spanish levels two, three, four, heritage Spanish. And this year I've also started teaching ethnic studies course, Latin American studies. And it's absolutely amazing. I get to practice translanguaging and utilizing the full linguistic repertoire of our students into our school curriculum and class. And well, not school curriculum so much as just in my classroom. Um, but what, what can we see if we look in reverse about education this year? If we just look back, um, if we start sort of like with a backwards planning approach now, because no one, and I repeat, no one was prepared for what we were about to embark upon back in March, or at least that's when here in North Carolina, uh, and specifically my district, we went remote. Um, but districts across the U.S. and schools oftentimes kind of fought over whether or not to close, stay open, go hybrid, come up with something altogether new. Um, some listen to science while others, mm, well, I don't know what or who they listen to. And teachers, did they listen to them? in most instances, new. So as the virus raged on, kind of a clear picture was beginning to form, right, as we moved toward online remote learning. A picture that teachers and some admins already know and knew of who was going to have an easy transition and who was not. Of who had access to the resources that are needed, would be needed, to really excel in this unknown landscape, right? So this knowledge was critical. Some of us in anti-racist and equity work already knew, right? And, uh, and for some, unfortunately, it was a big unknown and wasn't even on their radar for consideration. You know, so um, as things started unfolding, unfolding, some districts did well in their attempts to address the growing inequities that were occurring. And took action uh, to mitigate those issues. Some took 
preemptive action and others well. Mm. You can't even say action was taken, right? Um, trying to mitigate these issues around access to technology, access to meals, access to family support, structures and systems, material resources, etc. Uh, some did well. Uh, some, as we know now, didn't do well at all. But the district I work in, in North Carolina, um, started what's called a CARES team, C-A-R-E-S, whose mission it was to help support students and families to gain access to remote learning, like um, to increase student engagement, um, to support students' needs with resources. And as it was staffed by mostly social workers, um, language interpreters, mostly Spanish, um, guidance counselors, um, teachers. Hmm. I think some subs got in on the action. Um, so uh, I applaud that effort for my district at the very beginning um, to reach out into uh, communities and to offer resources as needed. Um, it was kind of a preemptive approach. Um, so in that sense, we did better than a lot of other districts. Um, this went along well. Um, with a group that we already had in our schools pre-COVID called Boots on the Ground. And, uh, and within our building, this organization group uh, is, uh, is staffed by a dedicated team of Spanish language teachers, counselors, social workers, um, and teachers uh, to offer assistance also to families and students that are struggling with attendance. So we already had this program um, uh, at least two years uh, in the running before pre-COVID. So it worked kind of well and linked up well with the CARES team that was supported broadly by the district. Um, so we were able to really get out and reach our students um, that were struggling during this transition to remote learning. But that's, that's an advantage I feel like we had at my school specifically. Um, and like I said, it went well with the CARES team, but across the country, this was definitely not the case, um, broadly speaking. Um, I think, I kind of think we have seen up to this point is like the intersectionality of education issues, you know, with the remote learning, the COVID, the transition, we're in it, we're moving, um, some moving well, some not moving well, um, where some students were clearly left out of the picture, and while others thrived. Where those with more did and those with less didn't. You know, it kind of, it's like that intersection of race, class, gender, pedagogy ideals, curriculum, materials, etc. Um, was not, and perhaps for some, had never been, right, even considered during remote learning. Like I mentioned at our school, these considerations are always, um, with the boots on the ground, taken into consideration. We really look at the intersectionality of our students' lives, our students' lives, and uh, try to really be holistic in our approach to dealing with um, attendance issues and students that are um, falling behind, so to speak. Um, but broadly speaking, again, I don't. I think. Uh, looking backwards, 
looking back, we don't we don't really see that. So it's kind of kind of that it goes into what we're seeing now, still, and it's January first. Um, what we have been seeing is that the one size fits all school model is not working. Simply providing access to resources is not a wash your hand to be done scenario. There is a need then and now for digital literacy skills for some of our students. And I want to quote uh, from an article I read earlier last year from Warschauser and Matachinak, 2010, I think. I apologize. If you just happen to be listening and know those names, I probably butchered them. Um, and, and I quote, The digital divide is not simply the haves or have-nots problem with access to and usage of technology and information. Rather, it is a social and political problem associated with the social stratification and inequality in the digital technology age. This is, for me, was calling attention to these larger structural issues, structural racist issues um, facing education, and specifically during remote instruction when, when districts, schools, administrations, policymakers were not considering at all the intersectionality of students' lives, um, generally and broadly speaking, right? Um, so that one-size-fits-all school model, um, as we have seen and are seeing, is simply not working. Um, however, uh, as we've also seen, some of our students are excelling with remote learning. And I want to use another quote again, this time from Moorfield, Lang, Copeland, and... Haynes in 2016. Uh, online course delivery, and I quote, online course delivery has the potential to break down some barriers that exist in face-to-face classrooms, such as geographic location, transportation issues, architectural and physical impediments, and social contexts that can create inaccessible learning environments. In an idealized sense, online courses can eliminate these barriers. End quote. So I think, you know, there's a necessity of making schools more human, right? One hopeful outcome of the pandemic is that it forced schools to get off their treadmill and actually talk to students and parents and understand their life circumstances and how those intersect, intersect with school expectations, right? So, you know, the one-size-fits-all model um, moving forward, um, how we how we envision education change, how we envision moving forward, um, the one size fits all approach to learning perhaps needs to change. Um, I put a call out on Twitter and Facebook uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I think before Christmas, for teachers to answer one simple question. And thinking about this one-size-fits-all and um, how uh, potentially things need to change. Well, potentially, no, things need to change. Um, the question was, how do you envision a post 
post-pandemic classroom. And some of the responses I got were, um, I didn't get a lot, not as much as I had hoped, but some were uh, more critical pedagogy, um, curriculum representative of various cultures, uh, toolbox of resources um, that are accessible as needed for each student, um, more access to laptops, hotspots, manipulatives, etc. Um, a hybrid option for every family with an option for specialization at every school, um, not just because you attend a particular school. Um, another one was student-centered, um, simply stated student-centered. So these are some good, I, yeah, I definitely go with the critical pedagogy. Um, critical reflection is needed. Um, representation is needed. Disrupt text, right? Shout out always and forever. Um, those ladies did a fantastic job. If you follow social media, there was some foolishness surrounding that. I encourage you to go look at it, get your reading on, and continue to disrupt. Um, so, uh, change. Hmm. So, remote learning hybrid, for me, also exposed uh, some poor pedagogy and poor teaching. Which was, occur which was occurring pre-COVID. And these practices simply didn't translate into effective teaching during remote hybrid learning. And they're not going to translate after, as they were occurring before and after. We saw some poor teaching practices. Um, I got a quote um, that I jotted down on my notes. I have no idea where I read it. But um, if you hear it, you know it, you wrote it. Do you know who wrote it? Um, shout out, because it's not mine. And it's the quote. If a measure of a society is how well it takes care of its young, the past nine months are a damning indictment of our nation. And I thought, wow, that's, that's powerful, right? Uh, and that, that indictment, you know, for educators, um, it, it's critical to reflect upon, you know, because on social media, I myself, I have read countless punitive online rule and policies being enacted. And for me, a lot of these were rooted in deficit mindsets and racist ideology, right? So if the past nine months are a damning indictment of our nation, as that quote says, um, you can see it in some of the punitive classroom policies, right, that we have seen over the last nine months or so. Well, for years, but uh, this is talking about um, our our COVID teaching, our online teaching, right? Um, so these aren't like isolated events, but um, in context of what I'm, I'm speaking on now, um, I've seen some punitive classroom policies being moved to virtual, like the same school-to-prison pipeline policies just being morphed over into a virtual environment. Um, one of the worst for me, and I spoke on it during the summer before we went back in the fall. Um, I'm, by the way, 100% virtual. We'd been virtual supposedly until the end of January, to the end of this month. So we'll see if that holds true. Um, uh, one of the worst for me was cameras on policies. I don't even know what to tell you. Um, 
if you listen to this and you're one of those, um, I would ask you to really think about why. Um, I made a good Loom video that you can find on my uh, Twitter feed if you're interested. Um, but uh, punitive, right? Students getting kicked out of class, not being even allowed in class for not having their cameras on. Punitive, right? Uh, suspending kids and kicking them out of Zoom classes, keeping them in the waiting room uh, for various um, infractions. Mostly I've seen with the cameras on policies. This cameras on policy was not only um, coming from teachers in their individual classrooms, but sometimes school policy. Um, I've seen also broader district policies that cameras uh, were to be on. So hopefully we, you know, moving forward, that's something, um, that's something that'll end, right? Um, failing kids, faulty grading practices that were far from equitable. Um, so there's many things that I've seen and read over the course of the last nine months that were just a perpetuation of policies that have a root in racist um, curriculum, ideology, um, takes a deficit lens, especially toward black and uh, brown students, our Latinx populations. Um, these are the students that continue to be marginalized through these, these policies, these practices. Um, so, but, you know, the pandemic uh, really is helping many of us not all of us, uh, to think about our students in a more holistic way. And we should remember that as we move forward into this new year, right? We should really consider some of the things that we have seen um, floating out there in social media from other educators that are racist, that are punitive, that perpetuate stereotypes and tropes that um, that are harmful. Um so uh, some things I think I ask myself and that we need to ask ourselves as educators is um, it's a new year. So um, whether we stay virtual, uh, hybrid, or we go back into class full on, um, where do we go as educators? How do we shift our mindsets? What is the takeaway for us as we critically reflect um or do we just throw up our arms and be like oh glad that's over and wipe your hands clean and move on and be like yay normality again um no 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 what challenges are there in getting students caught up right and what and here's here's the bell ringer right and what does that even mean to get students caught up is it based on the same standards that did nothing but perpetuate inequities before, right? Um, thus, the need to catch up students does not need to interfere with the desire to engage in critical thinking, develop relevant lessons, and in other ways, embody good teaching practices, right? Like, what does that mean? The fear of getting our students caught up when we come back. What does it mean to want to return to normalcy, right? Normality, normalcy, 
You know, what does that mean? You got to really ask yourself that. Like, if you need to even Google what it means, there's many educators out there, uh, way smarter than myself, that uh, have deconstructed this idea of what normal actually means. And I'd, I would encourage you as an educator to seek that out. If you believe, if you're like wiping your head, and you're like, oh man, just so glad this is over. We're all vaccinated. We're all moving forward. Schools are opening again. Thank goodness, right? What, what are you saying? What, what was normal for you before all this, right? And also ask yourself, what curricular changes can we make can I make that pushes back against a system that continually marginalizes marginalizes black and brown students? Especially if you're a white educator, such as myself, who teach teaches in predominantly um, uh, African American and Latinx students. Um, what what curricular changes can you make moving forward? Right. Make that your New Year's resolution. Hey, if you're into that, if you're into resolutions, um, make that. Um, it's, you know, as I'm reflecting, like thinking backwards planning here, like um, this has been my practice for years, right? Since I first got into teaching, you know, having this um, anti-racist lens and perspective uh, has, has been my, has been my um, philosophy, my pedagogy. Uh, since I started my first day in the classroom. But if it hasn't been, and you're new, and this summer's events that we've seen, the protesting, the conscious raising, um, if you've been impacted by that, if you've been impacted by the inequities that you've seen, um, not only in society, but as as an educator in, in schools and districts and classrooms, um, what curricular changes can you make to push back against this system, right? What can you do? It's going to look different for each educators, for each educator. Um, but I would, I would, I would ask you to consider that, right? And if you teach um, predominantly white students, um, how can you disrupt techs? How can you critically can't get that out? Critically reflect on your content and your pedagogy and push your students to be anti-racist if you teach predominantly white students say you all bougie you up you know teaching private school you know costs 50,000 a year to go i don't know what what can you do no matter where you teach these are questions i think you should ask and um yeah 2020 we shouldn't forget at all, right? Um, the losses, the suffering. Um, what can we take from 2020 and reshift our perspective, reshift our lens, reshift our focus? What can we do? I want to thank you for listening all the way through this uh, rambling stream of consciousness kind of thought process but i just wanted to throw this out there i don't even know how long i'm gonna leave this podcast up but um if you listen to this and it's march or whatever um i hope you've made some changes 
I hope you have shifted and uh, things are going better for you and you're moving toward disruption of inequities and racism. You're listening to What in the World Language Podcast. <laughs>